0: The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Okay, Um, so let's go to uh, Micah uh, chapter 1. Micah chapter 1. Micah chapter 1, we're going to be zeroing in on verses 8 to 9. Micah chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. Uh, There was an article that I read, it was titled, Want to Prove or Improve Employee Morale? Well, if you want to improve employee morale, make them attend their own faker funeral. Yep, you heard that right. According to the report, South Korea has one of the highest suicide rates in the world, and workers often report feeling very stressed. So in order to make people appreciate life, some companies are making employees take part in their own pretend funeral. The employees will sit next to a coffin. They will write out letters to loved ones, then hug a picture of themselves, and then lie down in the coffin. A person dressed in all black, uh, they said it's supposed to symbolize the angel of death, he comes in, and he shuts the coffin. Now, I, I couldn't do that, man. I just—I'm super claustrophobic. I—I'll I'll, start—I'll start convulsing. Uh, um, I, I, Okay, sorry. Um, enclosed in darkness, the employees reflect on the meaning of life. The article says this is a bonding exercise designed to teach them to value life. Funeral. Fake funerals, here's an example of a fake funeral. But what about having a real funeral for an event that hasn't happened yet? A real funeral for the grief that's coming. What about a lamentation for the real judgment that's coming? What about the real broken heart of the coming wrath of God for all those who do not believe? Unless, maybe we really don't believe that there is a terrible judgment coming that is pronounced by the word of the living God. This, this part is the part that's troubling You know, I I had a conversation with an individual I've been trying to get to come to church, and it was really funny. It was just kind of like, he goes, well, I'll come to church, Shane, but you know what? I absolutely don't want to come to the church if you're going to preach about judgment. And I said, well, maybe this week might not be a good week. (laughs) But then I'd ask the question, like, I, I know that you don't want to hear about judgment, but can I ask you a question? Do you not think that a judgment is coming? And he's like, no, absolutely not. Oh, so you don't believe that God is coming to judge the living and the dead? No, no, absolutely not. God's just not that way. God wouldn't do anything like that. And I'm just like, okay, uh, do you think that God has ever judged a nation, a country, or the world? Oh, absolutely not. So all the stories about God judging the nations, God judging the people with a flood, all of those types of things, he didn't really do it, didn't really mean it. Oh, well, you know, Shane, I I do read the Bible, but, you know, I don't believe everything in there. Wow, okay. So I'm just wanting to let you know that there's, This is not a straw man. This is not a straw man that I'm building, family. There are professing Christians that are out there that do not believe God is coming to judge the living and the dead. It's It's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing what that's like. But the question remains, Shane, is there a judgment coming? You better believe that there is a judgment coming coming in revelation chapter 11 verse 18 revelation eleven eighteen, 18 the nations were filled with wrath but now the time of your wrath has come it is the time to judge the dead and reward your servants the prophets as well as your holy people and all who fear your name from the least to the greatest it is time to destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth sure does sound like judgment is coming to me family Romans chapter 4, verse 10. Romans, I'm sorry, Romans 14, 10. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all stand before Christ to be questioned. Oh, judged. Oh, is that in the Bible? Hmm. Judged. We will each receive whatever uh, whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Acts chapter 17, verse 31. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. And family, we're seeing in scripture that a judgment is coming. And hey, you know what? When the judgment comes, it's not going to be pretty. This judgment will be terrible. Jude chapter 13. Or I'm sorry, Jude 13. <laughs> like, hey, Shane, is that the, the missing Bible that you're talking about? Uh, Jude 13. They are like wild waves of the sea churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars doomed forever to blackest darkness. Family, that does not sound good. You know, I, one of my cousins likes to tell me all the time, hey, Shane, I'm glad I'm going to hell. Did you know that in hell it's going to be one big party? Uh-huh. <sighs> Where, where do you guys come up with this stuff? <laughs> Doomed forever to blackest darkness. Now, I've seen darkness before. I don't know if you guys have ever been in basements in Texas. Charlie, did you have a basement in Texas? You didn't, so you don't, you, Charlie doesn't understand this. My grandparents' house in Texas, Midland, Texas, pecan farm, Texas, I don't know what it was about the basement. I mean, it wasn't just my grandparents, it was my aunt's uh, basement too. Something about the basements in Texas. Man, in the day, when you go down into the basements and all the lights and all of that kind of stuff, I don't know if it's like Loctite or whatever it is, but family, it is so dark, you can't see anything. I mean anything. Like, you know, sometimes when you're in like a dark room or something like that, there might be little things that, you know, casting some light. But in Texas, it's literally like you can stand in a room. This is during the day, 150 degrees outside. During the day, sun is shining. (laughs) And you're in the basement and you can do this with your hand, like right in front of your face and not see anything. It is the darkest Of darks. This is going to be darker than that. The darkest. The blackest darkness. Matthew chapter 18 verse 12. Matthew 18 12. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, people will say all the time, hey, Shane, what does it mean, you know, what is it to weep and gnash your teeth? I'm not exactly sure what that is, but all I know is you don't want it. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Matthew 25, 41. Then the king will turn those on to, to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Eternal fire? That doesn't sound good. In Revelation 14, 10, Revelation 14, 10, Must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. You don't want this. Judgment is coming, and judgment is terrible. This is a serious, serious thing. A serious thing. Talking with the the pastor once, who uh, was convinced—he's—he's absolutely one hundred percent convinced. Now this is a pastor who's currently preaching, maybe not right now because they're in Hawaii. Who tells me all the time that nobody, Shane—I mean nobody—is going to go to hell. Seriously, kid you not. Not making this up. Nobody is going to hell. And I'm like, okay, I know I'm going to hate myself for asking you this question. (laughs) I'm going to regret it, but I'm going to ask. How in the world do you come to that conclusion? And you know what his answer was? God is love. That's it? God is love? Yeah, Shane, God is love. And he will never do that. He would never do anything like that because that's not what a loving God does. Family, this, I cannot express to you just how serious this is. That the theme that our God is not just a God of love, but our God is a righteous God. Our God is a holy God. Our God is a just God. Just God. And here's the thing. Um, I can't remember if it was him or his assistant pastor, but it was, it was interesting. His assistant pastor, same way, you know, God's love. You know, God, God won't do anything, any of that stuff. He's not going to punish. He's not going to do anything like that. And in, in, in Hawaii, uh, I can't remember, we went somewhere and he got his motorcycle stolen. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, well, you know, he got his motorcycle stolen and all this stuff. And, you know, and the funniest thing, funniest thing, he just says, you know, God is going to deal with that person. And it took me aback for a minute, like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why would you think God is love, that our God would deal with that individual? Well, because, you know, he's a just God. And, and people that do things like that, they're going to get their due. <laughs> and that was the moment, family, where I just was just like, you know what? I don't think... That we here, at least for some people in our country, we don't take this Christianity stuff serious at all. I think people think that this is some kind of game. I think that sometimes I kind of wonder, like, you know, when I go to some of our pastor meetings and stuff like that, when we sit around and we talk, you know, and we're talking about individuals and we're talking about people in the church and, and all that. I mean, I don't talk about you guys, but, you know, all the people in our church and stuff. And it's just like they're talking about this and that and what they can do. And it's almost like they're sitting there with member trading cards, like baseball cards when we were kids and how we would trade baseball cards. It's like doing that with members at the church. And we're talking about this and everyone's showing their collection and all this stuff. And at the end, it's just kind of like, guys, do we not realize that there are people in the world who do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? They reject the Lord. And when the Lord comes in judgment, he is going to separate and those who are condemned are going to go to this place of blackest darkness, unquenchable fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we think that this is just a game. Do we not take this stuff serious? It's a serious thing. It's an unfortunate thing. It's a very sad thing. And people who profess the name of Christ... Continue to tell me I don't want to hear about the judgment thing, Shane. You know, Shane, I I can go to church. I like, you know, going to church and all that stuff, but one thing I can't handle, man, is I can't handle the preachers that get up there and, you know, they preach that hellfire brimstone stuff. I don't want to hear nothing about that. I don't want to be bothered with those types of things. Okay, great. We don't want to hear it, but that does not mean that it's not true. It's scary, isn't it? It's scary that there are consequences to the things that we do. And I'll tell you right now that the United States government does not have enough money in the treasury to bail us out of hell. I'm guaranteeing you that. I think sometimes we're, we're living life and we do these kinds of things and we live life and we get ourselves in trouble and we look at our government to bail us out. And the government bails us out. People bail us out. People bail us out. There's nothing that's going to bail us out of the judgment that's coming. This is serious. And family, it's a sad thing. Family, it should break our hearts. Family, we should be in lamentation, a funeral kind of lamentation for the judgment that is coming and the punishment that's going to be coming upon the people who do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. We should feel just like Micah felt here. Micah chapter one, verses eight to nine. Micah chapter one, verses eight to nine. Therefore, I will mourn and lament I will walk around barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl for my people's wound is too deep to heal. It has reached into Judah, even to the gates of Jerusalem. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. You promised that it will accomplish its purpose. So God, I pray that your purpose will be accomplished with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing we're going to look at today is the actual funeral-type mourning that Micah does as a result of the oracle of God of looming judgment. The second thing we're going to look at is the reality of the state and spread of ruin with no remedy. Finally, we'll look at the divine God-given remedy that will not fail with the good news of the gospel. So our thesis statement today is this, though sin and the pattern of this world continue to cause us to doubt the consequences of sin in the coming judgment, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of scripture that will cause us to see the truth of the coming judgment and the reality of salvation from the terrible swift sword. Point number one, lamentation, a funeral, the funeral lament. Micah's heart is broken. After pronouncing this oracle of judgment, Micah's heart is broken. Not only does he have to deal with the sad fact that Samaria is going to be brought down, he's dealing with the fact that shortly after Judah is going to fall. The common response from these preachers, Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 21. Jeremiah 8:21, I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn and I am overcome with grief. This is a common thing that we see with the prophets. Dr. McKay, he'll write, these words refer to the dirges and laments of the mourning rites that were customary at Eastern funerals, where no restraint was placed on open expression of grief and sorrow. So devastated is Micah by the judgment, which he knows is surely coming on Samaria, that he already presents himself as a mourner at the funeral of the northern kingdom. You see what he's doing here? He is mourning, wailing, as if he was in a funeral and the judgment had not even come yet. Why do you think he did that? Because he's so sure of God's word that when God says he's going to do something, he will. He will, and he believed that so much so that he's already mourning. He's already, you know, walking, mourning, weeping, wailing as if he was in a funeral. Micah talks about going barefoot and naked. Barefoot and naked, I know this may seem a little bit weird, but naked and and walking barefoot and naked was a sign of mourning. This is what they would do when they were mourning back in this time. Second Samuel chapter fifteen, verse thirty. Second Samuel fifteen thirty. David walked up the road to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and his feet were bare, as a sign of mourning. The Bible tells us, sign of mourning. Isaiah chapter twenty, verse two. Isaiah twenty two. The Lord told Isaiah, son of Amos. Take off the burlap you have been wearing and remove your sandals. Isaiah did did this, as he was told, and he walked around naked and barefoot. That's what they did. At this time, it may be that Micah, like Isaiah, was actually walking the streets, just like Isaiah did, naked, barefoot, and howling. Wow. Wow. Howling. And what, an, what a graphic picture we have here, or, or a, a colorful picture maybe, that we have here um, of this, this walking. An example is given, and the example is that of a jackal. I know this may seem a little bit strange to us, but uh, the, it, the nocturnal screeching of a jackal was well known at the time. So I was curious, I was curious myself, I wanted to know, um, the, the wailing, because I'm reading all this stuff about this, how specific the wailing of a jackal is and just how uh, they, all know, they all knew what it was and it was there and it was prevalent and it became a picture of that. So I went on YouTube and I just randomly typed in jackals howling. And they actually have videos of jackals howling. I've never heard anything like that before. I don't know if you guys have ever heard a jackal howl, but go to YouTube, go check it out, the jackal howl. I want to tell you just how how, um, apparent it is or just how distinct it is. I turned on the jackal thing, I pressed play, and the jackals came out and they started screeching, and you know what happened? My dogs were there. And the first thing that happened is Kikaida's sitting right here. This is my, my smaller dog. He's sitting right there. I press play, the jackals start howling, and he does the first thing he does is the dog thing where they cock their head, you know, they go. You know, that really cute face that they make, and he's and he's really, really going at it. And Nani is looking over there. Nani's up, and she started looking, and then within a matter of seconds, they start barking. Like, what in the world is that? It's so distinct. It's so interesting that even my dogs (laughs) were well known to the idea of the howling of the jackal. But not just jackals, also the owl. Now again, the the usual rendering of yaana is ostrich. Okay, so some of your translations may actually say ostrich. Some of your uh, some of your Bibles, your study Bibles, you'll actually have notes over there that will actually talk about ostrich. You know that you know he's probably talking about ostriches, all this type of stuff. Um, But when you look at the whole phrase of it, benach yaana, it's. It's more literally uh, the daughters of the desert is how you would translate that more literally. So if you say daughters of the desert, then that would signify to individuals or the, to the Hebrew scholars, the, the translators, that he's using this more for the idea of the desert owl not not the ostrich, okay? So just in case you're looking at your notes and stuff like that as the owls. But it's, it's interesting how he talks about the moaning of the owl, the screeching of the desert owl. So this, the reason why this is important is this is a common connection that we see when it comes to people who are in mourning, okay? Job chapter 30, verse 29. Job chapter 30, verse 29. Instead I am considered a brother to jackals and a companion to owls. You see, it's, that's the picture. So we see that Micah is truly in mourning, wailing, weeping, which is common with funerals back then, is that they actually hired professional wailers, professional weepers. People who would come and get paid to come to funerals and weep and wail. I mean, that was just a common practice that happened during those times. So, Micah here is not any different from the other prophets who pronounced judgment upon the people. They were never detached from the people, they were never detached from the social and religious scene of their day. Even though they had solemn warnings to deliver to unrepentant sinners, they did not let this harden their love for the people who they were speaking to. Isaiah did not detach. Isaiah chapter 22, verse 4. Isaiah 22, 4. That's what I said. Leave me alone to weep. Do not try to comfort me. Let me cry for my people as I watch them being destroyed. Don't comfort me. Don't comfort me. And so family, we in the same way today, today, we in the same way, we cannot... Detach from the unrepentant people who we are commissioned to proclaim the judgment of God as well as the gospel of Jesus. We cannot detach from the people in our world today. Have we a heart? Have we a burden for the lost and the condemned? That's a question that we have to ask ourselves today. Have we lost our heart for the lost? Do we care anymore today about those who are lost and condemned? Do we weep for our lost in our community like we weep for the church and people in the church today? Do we have a heart for those who are going to come under judgment in the future? Do we wail for unbelievers who are in our lives? Do we still have a passion to proclaim the gospel and watch the Holy Spirit do His work in the lives of people today? Family, may we never lose the breaking of our hearts for the loss. This is a sad thing. This is a, a terrible thing that's going to happen. And it makes me sad. You know, now that, now that we're doing our, our social media outreach, I get to engage with unbelievers all over the world. Family, it is a sad, sad, sad thing. To hear what they say about God, about Christianity. But here's the thing, I believe the Bible. Do you believe the Bible? So people who are like that are condemned in the worst kind of condemnation. And all I'm thinking as I'm I'm talking with these individuals, you know, sometimes, you know, late at night, you know, you know, they're just—they're just really attacking me late at night. You know, rude, mean, insulting. If you guys have seen, they say some insulting things about me, about you. No, they don't say anything about you. Insulting, really harsh too, really aggressive. I thought this was really interesting too. I found out that our biggest city, just found out with some of the analytics, our biggest city that are, uh, that's coming to watch our videos uh, on TikTok, our TikTok videos, the, the biggest attraction, the city that we have the most people watching, the Bronx. Wow. That, I just saw that yesterday. And then the next city is Houston. That makes sense. No, it doesn't. And, and the, the things that they would say. And, and I'm talking to these individuals, and I'm just going, man, there's a person on the other side who just absolutely hates God, hates me, hates Jesus, hates Christians. And all I can think about is one day, one day, life is going to be taken from you, and man, it's going to be sad. So I go back, you know. Can you just hear me? Listen to what I'm trying to say here. Can you just try to open up your heart and try to understand? As my heart is breaking for all of these guys, it's a sad thing. And it seems more so what's happening. As you look at the new statistics that are coming out, and as you just look and you, you can just see it for yourself, that engagement with our culture from Christians today is becoming few and far between. You just don't see it hardly anymore. You don't hear about it hardly anymore about people that are actually out there engaging with unbelievers. Our culture is becoming increasingly hostile towards Christians. And what it's doing is it's causing Christian engagement to fall. So we're not engaging with our culture anymore. We're having a hard time with this. You know, and this is the thing that I think is really interesting. You know, I I will, uh, in passing, I'll have some conversations with Christians, professing Christians on social media, you know, and they're just like, you know, hey, Shane, I I know that all of these insults that you're getting on social media, I know that that actually can't feel good. So, you know what the thing is? Is that you're the dumb one who put himself out there. So, you kind of deserve it, don't you? So, don't put yourself out there. Don't say anything so that way you don't get insulted. Well, Shane, of course. What do you think was going to happen when you go out there and preach the gospel in a public forum like that? People are going to come against you. You're the, that's your fault for doing that. You're the one who did it. So Christians today, we won't engage. Why? Well, because I don't want people saying stuff about me. I don't want people saying stuff about you know about how I look, about the clothes that I have, you know all that. They're just so so mean, so insulting. So we just don't put ourselves out there, and we don't proclaim the gospels from the rooftops like Christ called us to. Man, when the disciples were insulted and persecuted for preaching the gospel, they didn't walk away sad they rejoiced that they were able to suffer for the name of Jesus. What, have we lost our heart? So, so what happens is, is that Christian engagement is so different today. It, it falls into like two, I, I, there's two that I can see, I'm sure there's more, but there's two that we're gonna talk about. The, two errors will happen. Number one, we will talk. And I see this too. We will talk and we will engage in the culture. But man, are we mean. This, this is the thing that's really interesting is that Christians are really good at insulting unbelievers too. And what we say to them, how we're condemning of the things, you know, and just, and, and, and saying things like, you know what, that's great. You know, you can say that, you can insult me and all the blah, 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 and just lay in on them. Like, you know, I'm just glad that one day you're going to be face-to-face with Jesus and he is going to throw you in the pit of hell. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Seriously? You're glad that Jesus is going to throw somebody in hell? So... Sometimes I think that Christians, we will engage. But because we're so, I don't know if it's like nerves or if our own insecurities or whatever. Why do we got to be mean? Why do we got to be condemning? Why do we got to do that? Can't we be nice? It's like mom always said, you know, if you ain't got something nice to say. Which leads me to the next issue. We don't say anything at all. Just won't say anything. Just We're just Christians who profess Christ and we just sit back as like innocent bystanders and we just watch, see what happens. Oh yeah, well I know that we're supposed to preach the gospel but did you see Shane? Shane went out there and he preached the gospel and look at what's happening to him. You know? Look at what's happening to him with the things that he says. And and last night, I don't know if it was a moment of weakness because of the medication and all that stuff. I did post the reproduction thing. The you know, the quote that I was saying, like, you know, all the hot button issues that we're discussing today, all of these things have one common denominator. What's that common denominator? It all eliminates and discourages reproduction. So if I die of mysterious causes, it's probably because of that post last night. Family, engagement, we won't speak the truth in love or because we think we love, we won't speak the truth. I remember when I was a young intern in Bible college, um, the, I got the truth and love illustration. You guys have probably heard this. this. This truth and love illustration is really phenomenal. It's funny to me because I get this, the, the, the same illustration that I thought I made up. I like, I totally made this truth and love illustration up, but everybody else was using it. I was like, wow, people are stealing my illustration and not giving me any credit. Anyway, but this is what happens. It converted my understanding and it helped me to kind of understand one of the issues that we do. So when it comes to truth and love as Christians, when we engage our culture, we have to have both because to not have one or to have one without the other is a very, very dangerous thing. To preach truth to an individual without love damages, does. And then on the other side, to preach love, with, or to have love without truth, that damages too. Two really good things, but damaging. And so what it reminded me of is, it, for some reason, it just jumped into my head. And it reminded me of my time in high school where I took physical science. Um, I, all the sciences, chemistry, biology was okay, botany was okay, you know, all this stuff. But, man, physical science, I love physical science. I love physics. I mean, physics is just, just, it's just fascinating to me. Now, I remember one day we were in physical science class, and my, uh, the teacher opened up this box And there was this bizarre-looking brown mound. It looked like a rock that was sitting right on the the, the plate. And then he took a knife and he cut. I want to say a piece about that big, maybe about that thick. He cut it. And when he cut it and he opened, man, it was shiny silver. It was like a metal. And then slowly, within a matter of seconds, it was starting to tarnish. And then it turned brown. And he said, Shane, or the class, this is pure sodium. So everybody grab your jackets. Well, we didn't grab our jackets. I'm thinking Colorado. No, this is Florida, right? Everybody grab your surfboards. Let's go outside. And we walked out to the pond in the back of the school. This is a big old pond. Pond at the back of the school. Now, here's the thing. He didn't say nothing. Didn't tell us anything, you know, just basically talked about the periodic table and all that stuff. And he took that, that piece of sodium that was like this. And he took it and he threw it out and it landed in the middle of the pond and that thing blew up like he just threw dynamite. It was a humongous explosion. Water just went everywhere. And you know, I remember him saying like, maybe I cut a little too much on that one. Sodium, pure sodium. Do you know this? Pure sodium. When you throw that thing in water and that thing gets wet, it's violent. The chemical reaction is violent. And so uh, one of my, I mean, it was kind of my friend's friend, you know, that in that class, when we went out, he snuck back in. And you know what that fool did? He cut a tiny little piece of sodium for himself, put it, uh, rolled it up into a ball and stuck it in his pocket. True story, family. Six period that day, it was hot. Sitting in English class, and all of a sudden the dude's pants lit on fire. It was hot that day, he was sweating and it lit on fire. He got burns all over his legs and everything. It was it was it was a mess. But yeah, that's that's what he said. He said he went in, he went back in and stole some of the sodium because he knew what was gonna happen and he wanted a piece of that. Sodium by itself. Bad, dangerous. Now, at the same school, there's a story that's told about one of the um, uh, one of the janitors. Uh, gosh, I, I, I don't know if this is my old age, but I'm forgetting the story a little bit. He uh, he was cleaning something, and he got the the bright idea that what he he was going to do is he was going to concoct some kind of a chemical in order to clean some stain that was on. The, the, the floor in this, in this school in Florida, and the story goes now I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm trying to remember but he put like an entire bottle of Ajax. Is there still Ajax today? Okay, I'm sure they probably did some things to it now these, but this is back in the day. And he opened up the bottle of Ajax and he put it in there. And then he got himself a gigantic gallon of bleach, opened it up and poured the bleach in with the Ajax. And the chemical reaction created something called chlorine gas. And it went up and he took a big, gigantic, deep breath of it and it melted his lungs to the point where he can only maybe walk like five feet and he's out of breath. I mean, just (sighs) chlorine gas. This is the same school. Now, here's the thing. Chlorine gas, dangerous, Chlorine is dangerous by itself. Sodium, dangerous, you know. Sodium, chlorine, dangerous. Chlorine, dangerous. Sodium, dangerous. But you know what happens when you mix the two together? It creates this wonderful thing that causes high blood pressure in us. It's called salt. Together, salt. Apart, dangerous. Truth without love, dangerous. Love without truth, dangerous. But truth and love is the wonderful thing we like to call the gospel of Jesus. Absolutely amazing. The judgment that's coming. Micah is lamenting because he says it's incurable. The wound is too deep to heal. It's figurative for us understanding the judgment that's coming on Samaria. The prophet is in mourning because of this incurable wound. Matthew Henry, he writes that Israel's case is desperate. Her wound is incurable. It is ruin without remedy. Man cannot help her. God will not help her. It is the surety of it. Micah laments because the wound was incurable. Its destruction is sure and it's spreading like a cancer to the southern kingdom. It's coming to Judah and it's coming to Jerusalem. See, this is another reason why we weep and wail for our generation today. The judgment of God is coming. It's real. And by the looks as to how things are going, it is absolutely sure that this judgment is going to happen. Number one, it is sure because the word of God says that he's going to come in judgment. And number two, we're actually seeing what the word of God says is true. I remember one day I'm watching the Discovery Channel. And I'm I'm watching this new theory as to how life began on earth. So here's earth. You know, it's it's evolution's lost. I'm just going to say it again. Evolution's lost okay? And it's been, it's been defeated for years now. I, I, I just don't think people know it, <laughs> right? It's over. And so the, you know, the guys that are, are able to write, they come up with these new theories, you know? So here's the new theory as to how life was started on earth. And, and I remember talking to, to uh, the, the church in Hawaii about this, but the, uh, an alien spaceship sped right by the, the earth. And the fumes from the spaceship, had a chemical reaction with the matter on this planet, Earth. And from that chemical reaction, plants came, life came, you know, the duck-billed platypus came. Through all this. And the transitional fossils came, right? All that. That's how life started. And I remember telling the church, everyone was just like scratching their head going, are you serious? The exhaust fumes from an alien spaceship. So number one, we're not even sure about the aliens. Number two, an alien spaceship. Number three, the fumes from an alien spaceship. We would rather believe this than in the beginning God created. Now here's the thing. I remember saying this to the church, and my friend, he was a biologist, he was working on his PhD in botany, and he came up to me and he goes, you know, Shane, everyone thinks that's funny, you know, he goes, everyone was laughing when you told that story and all that stuff. He pulls out the textbook that he uses to teach the biology classes, so if you're a biology student, Biology 101, you know, he he was teaching those classes, that's what you do as a PhD student. He opens it up where his bookmark is and he goes, I want you to read that. Right there in the biology textbook that we're teaching college students in America today, I'm reading that exact theory that I saw on TV. This is what we're teaching the kids. And he's just like, and people are fascinated by it. So people are talking about it. And I'm just like, man, that is one of the most ridiculous things I ever heard. He goes, yeah, absolutely. He's a, he's a scientist. Yeah, it totally is. But he said those words. He goes, man, He goes, Shane, it's funny. People would rather believe that than believe that God created everything. And I'm just like, well, you know what that is? That's Romans chapter one. Suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. It's not that mankind don't believe. We won't believe doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. If you preach any truth to me, all I'm going to do is stick it under the, the table and I'm just going to suppress it. Like my, my friend James, James White, he likes to say it's, it's like pushing down one of those you know, blow up balls in the swimming pool, you know, one of those beach balls and and suppressing it. You're trying to hold it down underwater. That's what we're doing when it comes to truth today in Romans chapter one, pushing it down, trying to hold it down. You give me any more information, I'm just gonna take it, I'm putting it under, I'm just gonna keep it down. Rejecting all of this stuff. And so the point that I'm trying to make is this, do we believe that the judgment is real and the judgment is coming because the word of God says so? Well, even more so now we recognize and see that mankind is acting out what God said mankind was going to do in His Word. So when, 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 they, when I'm engaging with people and atheists are just like, well, that's just dumb, that's just dumb, that's just dumb. And I just keep saying, well, you know, you're not hearing what I'm trying to say and we're having these arguments. And they keep suppressing it, they keep suppressing it. All I keep saying is that now, with all the comments that I have, and you can see all the engagement that I have with people, all of that is proof that Romans 1.18 is true. You're just Confirming the reality and truth of Scripture by your denial that Jesus is Lord. You're just proving it. And He promises that judgment is terrible, He promises that judgment is real. All unbelievers will be judged. Family, today, do you know unbelievers? Do we know unbelievers? Do we have unbelievers in our life? Do you know what's going to happen to them when they die? It's given once for a man to die, and then the judgment and the judgment is eternal fire eternal darkness weeping and gnashing of teeth unsaved friends unsaved family unsaved children unsaved unsaved husband unsaved wife the judgment is real the eternal consequences is real the wrath is real will we keep quiet will we stay silent will we just hold a funeral without weeping and wailing without even trying The judgment is real, family. But I want to say this. The reason why I preach so hard on judgment, the reason why I preach so hard on sin, you know, it's not because I idolize the Puritan preachers. No. It's not because I idolize the old-timey, you know, preachers that my grandparents used to like. No. No the reason why I preach judgment so hard, the reason why I preach sin so hard is because then I get to tell you how awesome God's grace is. You know what I'm saying? It's just like if you got bad news and then you hear the good news, it's kind of like, whoa, yay, great. Whoa, yes, great but what if you hear really, 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 really bad news and then you hear really good news? Are you not overjoyed? Because he who much has been forgiven loves much. Yeah. For him who much has been forgiven loves much Salvation is here. Salvation is real. We don't have to be quiet about judgment. We don't have to be quiet about the darkness. We don't have to be quiet about the wound because there is a cure for this one. It's called the gospel of Jesus. There's hope for us today. Though judgment is coming, we can escape the wrath to come. The Lord promised to make a new covenant. Give us a new heart, a new life, new creations. Behold, I come to make all things new yes it's true all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God yes it's true that there is no one righteous no not one there, it's true that there is no one on earth who always does good and never sins it is true that we are all by nature children of wrath we have broke if you have broken even the smallest command you are as guilty as someone who's broken all of it or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We can preach that hard. Why? Because such were some of you. Because you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. All of this because... Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day all according to the scriptures the saying is trustworthy deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus salvation is here family We can't be quiet about this anymore. Salvation is here. People are dying every single day. Do they know the gospel? Have they heard this wonderful good news of what Christ has done? And the good news that will last forever. That all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the wonderful good news, the salvation that we have in Christ. Preach the judgment, yes, but let them know that there is salvation today. There is life and life more abundant. Judgment is real and it's coming, but family, it's clear that we can be saved from this judgment. It is curable right now because our God is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always strive nor keep his anger forever. He will not deal us according to our sin for the glory of his name, for the glory of his kingdom family, for all things are by him through Him, and for Him. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.